Welcome to Discourse, an original GBC podcast that explores multiple perspectives to think deeply and connect honestly with each other. I'm Sarika Narayan Singh. And I'm Ann Song. So Sarika, how's it going? Anything new this week? Not too much. Uh, you know, it was a short week, um, thankfully, because of Family Day mm-hmm. on Monday. Um, it's been, been a bit busy. I lots of marking, lots of reading, lots of conferencing. What about you? Uh, yeah, same thing. Uh, lots of marking, but I'm really glad for the Family Day weekend. I actually went away to a cottage with my friends near Georgian Bay, so that was really nice. Got to experience some of the Canadian wilderness there. Oh, cool. What did you guys eat up there? Oh my goodness, we ate all sorts of stuff. Uh, homemade granola, uh, we made tomato soup, and uh, I think it was a Jamie Oliver recipe, um, potato soup. Like, it was just... It was just a lot of good food. Wow, I'm kind of jelly. What else is happening, Anne? Um, it was also Rihanna's birthday. So ah! shout out to Rihanna. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How old is she now? I think she's turning, she turned 29. Yeah, so I saw a lot of beautiful photos of Rihanna this week all over Instagram. Mm, I bet. There are also a lot of photos of her like drinking from her flask at the Grammys because she didn't win anything. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, that was from last week. But I mean, yeah, saw some of that as well. How many nominations did she get? She got eight nominations. And I'm really sad uh, that she didn't win anything because Auntie was a fantastic album. Oh, my gosh. Did Beyonce get album of the year or? No. What? No, Adele did. Oi. Let's be real. Adele's 25 was not her best album. So I don't really know what happened there. Huh. Okay, um, so on a brighter note, I did stop by Chef on the Run again. Mm-hmm. Um, remember those caramels you had earlier? Yeah, those are fantastic. Thank you. Chef on the Run, only wow. two bucks. Wow. I know. And you could freeze them, you said. They were um, a lot softer, mm-hmm. so I just stuck them in the fridge. Nice. Yeah, they're really That's good. Fantastic. Nice and chewy. Okay, so for this week's episode, uh, we actually don't have an assigned reading for our students because our students are all individually, or rather with their groups, making their own podcasts, right? Yes. Good luck. (laughs) Good luck, students. Um, So we decided for this week's podcast that we talk about an article from GBC's The Dialogue. Yeah, right. And it's by Anne-Maria Averachin, who's the reporter and editor. Um, And it's her article titled... Black History Films Bust Common Myths. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for people who don't know, it's Black History Month. Yeah, and obviously there were uh, several uh, articles um, for the Black History Month edition that all address Black History Month. But I I think um, Avara Chan's piece stood out to us because she's particularly looking at the thematic representation uh, of history. And we've we've been kind of talking about history, right? In our other episodes as well, when we're talking about food, uh, we were talking about the history of colonization. Um, even when we were talking about hoodies and carding, we, we brought in uh, the history of racism. So I, I think this is a good one that we can talk about. So Sarika, what did you appreciate about um, Avarar Chan's piece um, that looks at Nadine Valson's films? I would definitely have to say that I really liked um, Avarar Chan's inclusion of Valson, who said, quote, history is a narrative in the realm of myth, a story carefully constructed and recorded by those in power. And the mm-hmm. reason that I really do appreciate that idea and that concept is because I think it's a, it's a truth, it's a fact. A lot of people in general, I think they have this misconception that history simply is, it's what happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what we really need to do is interrogate how that history is constructed. Um, and it's usually from the point of view of the person in power or the, or the victors, right? The people who won the war, for instance. Um, and this actually, it's, it's the idea that history is what we would say a palimpsest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a manuscript or it's a text that has to be constantly recorded over again and revised and edited um, for us to truly get to know the, the truth or the, the source of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So it's this idea of history being this kind of narrative, right? When it comes down to it, it's a narrative. And when we, like you said, when we think of history, like history with a capital H, right. it's, it is, it is the master narrative told from those in power, those who won the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are so many other narratives. Narratives that get left out, narratives that are in the margins, narratives that get forgotten. There are so many narratives and so many truths that it's not just one. And I, that's why I really like your idea of the palimpsest. Is that how you pronounce it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, this kind of layering over and over and over again and, and the need to explore all, not just the major master narrative, but all narratives. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, Anne, this reminds me of what Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie says in her TED Talk titled The Danger of a Single Story. Let's have a listen. It is impossible to talk about the single story without talking about power. There is a word, an Igbo word, that I think about whenever I think about the power structures of the world, and it is nkali. It's a noun that loosely translates to to be greater than another. Like our economic and political worlds, stories too are defined by the principle of Nkali. How they are told, who tells them, when they are told, how many stories are told, are really dependent on power. Power is the ability not just to tell the story of another person, but to make it the definitive story of that person. The Palestinian poet Murid Baghouti writes that if you want to dispossess a people, the simplest way to do it is to tell their story and to start with secondly. Start the story with the arrows of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Start the story with the failure of the African state and not with the colonial creation of the African state, and you have an entirely different story. Wow, I love that, the, especially the second part where she talks about, um, you know, start the story with the heirs of the Native Americans and not with the arrival of the British, and you have an entirely different story. Right? That's so powerful. And that's so powerful to me because um, it's as if the master narrative history with a capital H, it centers around whiteness and the arrival of the white colonizer. But these stories um, and these realities have always existed. I think she does a really good job here in in this uh, particular quotation that we're referring to from her TED Talk to show us that depending on the perspective you speak from and depending on where you start the story from, you can get totally different narratives of the past. So like, you know, history Essentially, when it comes down to the root word, there's story. Absolutely, it's a a story. It's a story in the making. It's a story that's constantly being constructed and reconstructed, interpreted and reinterpreted. Uh, And so it's it's never just the past, right? Right. It's still uh, to this very present moment, very relevant. Absolutely. And just to add to that, I think you know, obviously, then the other side of that 
word is his, mm. right? And I think the CBC actually is kind of playing on this in their, for Black History Month, they have this um, series called Her Story mm. to look at her side of the story, right? Yeah. What about you, Anne? What did you really appreciate about Avarachin's article? Avarachin's piece, and she doesn't explicitly do this, but uh, there is a mention of um, Nadine Velson as being uh, a Canadian born to Haitian parents. And there's a part where she says she has a, a, quote, a desire to tell compelling stories that represent a diversity of viewpoints, end quote. So she mentions that briefly. um, But when she mentioned that, I, I thought, you know, clearly... Avra Chan believes it is important to let us know that Nadine Velson is indeed black mm-hmm. and that she is a black director telling the story of black slaves in Canadian history. So w- when I read that, even though Avra Chan doesn't explicitly ask, ask us this question, I was in the back of my head, I was thinking, is it important that it's a black director or a black artist or a black writer that tells the black story or the black experience. Yeah. So, you know, there's tons of narratives and stories out there uh, that white directors and white filmmakers or white poets tell. Is it less valid because they're white? Like, is it more is it more important that it's a black director that tells the black experience? I don't know. Like, that's something I was thinking about, and I'm curious to know what you think. Totally. Um, I think it's a really good question. So I think it's a really challenging question. Um, and it's it's something that's not even just, like, black and white. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, personally, I wouldn't feel comfortable telling the experience of a queer Indigenous man, for instance. Right. And I'm a person of color. Yeah. But that's not, that's not the point. It's... Like, for instance, art is never apolitical. Right. Right. Art is always political, even if it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I'm also approaching that piece of art, whether it's a film or a painting or a piece of writing, from my own lens. Yeah. And from my own biases and my own abilities or inabilities to understand that art fully Mm -hmm. and to relate to it and identify with it. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I would never want to do that because I would, I mean, I think it's risky. Like, you could totally misrepresent something. Um, you could totally create a fiction and create a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also an issue of, like, who is empowered to create this culture? Yeah. How do, and, and tell the story. And tell that story. So what did you think? Yeah, so I, as I was thinking about this question, um, I, I want to say, I, I first of all, I... I relate to what you're saying like I could I echo the same sentiments um art even though it's in the realm of aesthetics is never just for art's sake Mm -hmm. right art is never existing in a vacuum it's a very cultural and political product of its time period so indeed who tells that story and which lens which perspective which um limitations uh, or what kinds of uh, resources they come with that that will definitely impact the story that's being told, right? So um, exactly like you said, I don't know the experience of a queer indigenous man. So who am I to tell that story, right? But oftentimes because it's aesthetics, people think, well, it's art. So doesn't the writer have creative license to do whatever they want, right? Like this reminded me actually of a writer um, named Lionel Shriver. Some of our audience members might know of her. She is the author of 
we need to talk about Kevin, um, which is a pretty uh, critically acclaimed novel. Yeah, and I think it was even turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. Personally, did not read it, <laughs> but uh, but I will get to it. She uh, gave a keynote speech at this Brisbane Writers Festival, and she actually touched on this issue where she was basically saying, you know, as writers, as artists, there should be creative license to talk about and tell the story of whatever and whoever you want. So for... Um, for Shriver, it doesn't matter that she's not uh, an indigenous queer man. She can tell the story because she's a writer. She has a creative license and no one should penalize her for it. Uh, for Shriver, she can tell the story of, she can tell uh, the black experience. Even though she does not, she doesn't fully understand it, she can do it because she should have the creative license as a writer to do it. Well, that's, that's her argument, right? Um, which is very controversial. And super problematic. Yeah. Like- yeah, absolutely. Isn't she in some ways sort of stealing and sort of profiting off of their identity? Yeah, and that's a thing, right? Like as a middle-class um, white woman who is a recognized writer, when she tells the stories of these experiences that she cannot personally know, she is, like you said, in many ways stealing identity because she's telling a story that's not her own. Mm-hmm. And she's in so doing not giving the opportunity for the people who actually live those experiences to tell those stories themselves. Right. And she's also making monetary profit off of it. I think I think we all can kind of understand that writing is a very um, therapeutic way of expressing your identity. Mm. And I wonder if in some ways she's taking that that release away from someone. Right. Because who, she, who may not have that opportunity even. Or the resources to get published. Right. Or the access to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, this this piece uh, in the dialogue kind of reminded me of this very important question that we think about when we talk about creative license, we talk about the identity politics of, of the creator, the artist, the filmmaker. I think, you know, uh, Avarachan flirts with this idea. She kind of hints at it by drawing our attention to the fact that Valson is definitely a black black Canadian. Okay, so our final question then is, why is Black History Month important? Because some people might think, well, why do we do this every February? Like, why why bother? That's so funny because, I mean, I think that the fact that we're even, some people even ask that question is exactly why we need Black History <laughs> Month. Okay. Like, the, my response is oftentimes like, why do you think we have it to begin with? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and people say this about, you know, Women's History Month. Okay. So I think honestly, Tina Knowles says it best. Let's, let's take a listen to her from mm-hmm. Solange's interlude. Quote, Tina taught me. It's such beauty in, in, in black people. And it really saddens me when we're not allowed to express that pride in being black. And that if you do, then it's considered anti-white. No, you just pro-black and that's okay. The two don't go together because you celebrate black culture does not mean that you don't like white culture or that you're putting it down. It's just taking pride in it. But what's irritating is when somebody says, 
you know, they, they are racist. That's reverse racism. Or they have a Black History Month, but we don't have a White History Month. Well, all we've ever been taught is white history. So why are you mad at that? Why does that make you angry? That is to suppress me and to make me not be proud. Oh my goodness, Tina preach <laughs> uh, that final part there where she says that is to suppress me and to make me not be proud end quote uh it's it's strong language right to to ask and to say well why celebrate black history month like isn't that reverse racism she calls it out she says you know what when you question that and when you make me feel like i need to be ashamed of black mm-hmm. culture and black experience um and you you make me feel ashamed for re- requesting and validation for it and celebrating it that is a form of oppression it's yeah you're trying to build internalized racism or like shame shame yeah so i thought that was so well put that is that is to silence her and to silence anyone who who wants to celebrate something that's not viewed in our society as norm you know in so many ways as tina mentioned white history is normalized. It's a standard. There's no need to go out of the way to celebrate it because we're constantly forced to assimilate to it and accept it as truth. So there's no need for us to then center our focus onto that. But there's absolutely a need to recenter the focus to the Black experience because we don't get that in our regular Great Ten History textbook. And actually, this uh, echoes um, Brandy Skinner, Mm-hmm. who is cited in Avarachan's article. Um, so Brandy Skinner is one of the support staffers um, from the Community Action Center. And they said that Valson's creations are eye-openers for many young Black citizens who really don't feel accepted and are considered second-class citizens. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, when we think about Black History Month and the celebration of Black history, so not just looking at this legacy of slavery, but all of the positive contributions that black people have made mm-hmm. to our present and going into our future. Um, but when we don't look at black history, we're also sort of denying, well, we definitely are denying um, that racism in today's society has roots in history. Exactly. That right. there is a legacy of racism and a legacy of slavery that carries on to this very day. So when you when you think about uh, racism in contemporary society, and, and you don't understand the historical context behind it and the historical legacy behind it, it's so easy for us to dismiss racism now as kind of anomalies, as isolated incidents. But once you look at it from a historical perspective and you see how it's all connected and that there is a history of racism here that exists in our very country, then it's a lot easier to digest, oh, racism is systemic. Right. It has very deep roots. Mm-hmm. And it's not surprising that there's racism today. It's not weird or bizarre. It's actually expected. Yeah, exactly. So it, when you understand that, it's no longer like, oh my goodness, like that's an anomaly. That's an isolated issue. Uh, that's crazy. But it's not because our country is rooted in that. Absolutely. Okay, Sirika, so just to conclude our podcast, just wanted to ask you what your plans are for the intercession. I'm going on a very serious trip. Nice. um, To relax. (laughs) Serious trip to relax. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. To recharge. Recharge. Yeah. You know, you got to like, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. You have to decompress. 
Stress is a killer. Mm-hmm. You got to manage it. And for our students as well, like this is something that I've been telling them, you need to take the intercession to just recharge and reboot because that mental break from school, that will help them in the long run rather than trying to cram so much and be overwhelmed. Totally. And I think that's one of the things about time management. If you can manage your time, you're in turn managing your stress. Mm-hmm. Not to preach. But thanks for the tip. <laughs> yeah, anytime. I'm all about the work habits. What about you, Anne? What are you going to do this intercession? Honestly, this is bad, but I'm mainly marking. Oh my God, you're <laughs> hypocrite. I know. It's just, I just, but you know what? What's nice is I just need the downtime to catch up, if that makes sense. Okay. I like the idea of just catching up um, in the comfort of my own home and with my own cup of coffee rather than like rushing to campus and rushing to class and you know, trying to do all this other work at the same time. So hopefully I'll get some down downtime in there, but I do, uh, I will be doing some marking. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Anne, I'm really looking forward to the second half of our semester mm-hmm. and continuing to think deeply with you. And connect honestly. Have a great intercession week, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.